Be sure to share the podcast on your favourite social media channels. celebrated all too much or the way it used to be but i'm a giants fan i've been since i was a little kid um i grew up on mark bavaro joe morris bill sims back in super bowl 21 kind of thing lt that's uh one thing that i've loved my entire life people love sports before i got healthy i was obsessed i it was a way for me to sublimate a lot of the things i wasn't paying attention to in my mm. life i could name every single giants and Knicks starter and bench player but I couldn't really name the reason why I was running from my pain. Like there was like, I focused so much. Like I, I would catch every game and I would watch all the trades. I checked the stats after every game and I was my favorite players and all that. Uh, but I used to be obsessed with the Giants. I'd go to Giant Stadium, the old Giant Stadium yeah. and the new Giant Stadium. Love uh, it. Life and then before the Meadowlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It. So that's actually wow. a great place to segue in here. This is uh, John Katz. He's joining us. He'll be sharing his challenging upbringing from his transformative experiences and the creation of a citywide food rescue program. Um, John, super nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. Um, I'd like to, if you don't mind, uh, first give you a chance to tell you or tell us all about you. And then I want to kind of segue into giving that time to sports versus addressing pain. I like starting off there. Thousand percent. What's going on, party people? My name is John Katz. I'm a New York City native and online coach here to save you from yourself. Most of the problems in my life, say all of the problems in my life, were either a misinterpretation of actions I could have taken or just ignoring certain things that had occurred. Uh, we were speaking about candor earlier, and there's a distinct lack of candor in most people's lives. Honesty, a yes. level of honesty. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it takes about <laughs> yeah, it takes about 10 seconds for me to see where people are lacking it, where what their pain is coming from, you know, what actions they've taken to put themselves in a state of pain. But for me, I was running from my pain for a very, very long time. We can get into my coaching philosophy later, but essentially I had taken 20 years of poor decisions on basically around consumption, food, drugs, alcohol, uh, the consumption of time with other people sleeping around and whatnot. And after 20 years of that, man, I was in a dark place. And finally, this is how low level I was. It took me two decades of poor decisions to realize that it was my decisions that were making me feel bad. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. And about two and a half years ago, I turned my life around through the very same coaching program that I teach. Uh, one of just making better decisions, creating positive habits on the other side of our weak ones and just showing up for ourselves and the people that rely on us. I love that. And it's a fantastic message to bring to the table. I don't think we have enough mouthpieces for that. I think that people get lost in terms like coach and uh, changing their direction. Um, it has been bastardized in the community of people trying to help others, where it sounds like a Tony Robbins speech or something along that, that nature. And I don't see that coming from you because I see that you're actually talking the talk and walking the walk. 
Um, and I like to preface that because a lot of people tune out a podcast when they hear that, that C word. They're like, coach, and they're done. They don't want to hear any further because at that point, they're being told they're not who they are or they have to be legged to where they're going to be or in some kind of position. People are weird like that. But at the same time, the fact of the matter is you have real-world experience. You've walked through all of these different masks that we wear to supplement who we are. The sleep around mask, the drugs mask, the party time mask. And as much as I can mask myself, the less I have to look at that small schmeagel that's sitting behind every single one of them. And the only, only path to clarity is through giving back. It truly is. The more you give back, the more you see with it. You see other people in yourself. Every time you hand somebody something or you do an action of kindness, you see yourself in them and it makes you feel better as you just haven't judged them as much as you've judged yourself. So you give away time, right? Because we have none that we want to focus on. We don't want to look inside. Like you said, we don't want to acknowledge what's causing our pain. So we do something called donating our mindful moments rather than curate our own shit. We'll let somebody else curate it for us and consume it and allow that to become who we are versus curating our own story and putting that out. That's why the onus is on creators like yourself, Gary, me, and anybody else putting out content, that it be something that furthers humanity, that it does something good because we recognize through discernment, right? Like you said, it takes about 10 seconds to recognize where somebody's problems are. Comes from a struggled background. Struggled backgrounds give you the ability to micro-read people's issues and what their aggressions or changes are within any moment. Because you've lived through those moments yourself. May even have been the aggressor. You never know, depending on the, you know, the situation that we sit in. At the end of the day, though, as creators, the onus is on us to create meaningful content. And I see that coming from you. And I want everybody to hear that so that when they start consuming this, they know that you've walked the walk. Well, I had to. I mean, the level of fraudulence that would be. And that is a big issue is that people are often speaking on things they haven't done yet. But I had to both be in the pit of depression and the horrible, you know, I often refer to it as a boot on my throat. I would wake up that boot on my throat. That was a feeling of anxiety. I had to go through that being extremely overweight in order to mm-hmm. now speak on Same. what it's like to have a process that absolves me of my anxiety and depression, to have a process that has allowed me to shed uh, upwards of 40 pounds of body fat, to have all of these processes. You know, the unhealthy person speaking on being unhealthy doesn't really hit. The healthy person that speaks has always been healthy, that only speaks on being healthy. It doesn't really hit. But the healthy person that has been through the unhealthy time and mindset, speaking on that, that's actually what affected me. I was able to start living this life after, you know, engaging with people that had walked through the pit of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, being overweight, you know, heavy resentments against family and had moved through that. Those are the folks that I want to listen to. I don't really care. First of all, I don't really buy anyone's story that they feel that they're living some happy-go-lucky existence (laughs) and everything's been, been perfect. I don't buy that. But if you want, if one wants to present that image to me, I'm simply going to disregard it. I'm going to ignore it because that isn't my path. And I don't think it's anyone's path. Ignore it. Because when a bullet doesn't have a, a target, it will go away. It continues to travel. It doesn't stop until it hits whatever destination somewhere else. Right? 
So when people throw out these masks, when they're trying to, I, I, I call them convincers. When people are there to convince you of something, you have to understand that that is their platform that they've created. That is their persona. They live it. And you have to allow that to step to the side and look at it for face value. Because when someone's bringing a fucking highly decorated, like witch doctor tribal mask of what they're trying to sell you, and that's their persona, 99% of the time, it's a shit show behind that mask. Because the harder somebody's trying to sell you something, the worse off they're probably in on the inside, and they probably don't believe in what they're actually selling. Yeah, the number of people in New York that you're describing uh, with their masks on at all time is staggering. The circles mm -hmm. I travel in professionally, my most recent employment uh, outside of coaching and, and project management, and not the one I'm engaged in now, was for a multinational, multi-billion dollar tech company. So I was around uh, very well-paid, highly educated tech workers. And these people were, they were not there. The entire thing was a sham. The organization was a sham. and Essentially, what we were hired to do was to play act working. We were supposed to play act these roles in the company so then the company could play act a particular role in the marketplace. It was totally, it was an absolute facade. It was beyond facade. It was, it was half facade, half satire. But everyone knew that all I have to do is perform this role. I receive a paycheck and they were okay with that. It actually, it, it tied me up in knots. I couldn't believe that mm. hundreds of people, thousands of people across the world were willing to play act this role in order to get what they thought they wanted. And this to me is a perfect metaphor for society at large. We've normalized certain behaviors around pretending, around wearing a mask, around, around using substances, around doing all the bullshit that, that takes us away from ourselves because that's what everybody else expects. So everyone in the tech world expects, everyone knows that almost every company is full of shit. Look at Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. She just reported to prison. Uber obviously had massive issues. Um, we were all the, a lot of the biggest names, Amazon, Google, you can go on and on and on. Every one of these large tech companies is at least to some degree a fraud. It's just very levels of fraud. For every 100 startups, 99, let's say, are not going to turn a profit, one might. And this is complete fraudulent, but that's what's baked into the marketplace. And it's, it, to me, it's a perfect metaphor, especially in a city like New York, where it's extremely money, um, of just the, the level of lies that people are expected to engage in because everybody else is. And so we have this self we have this self-supporting pattern of lying to ourselves, lying to the group. Oh, it's a lie net. It's yeah, a lie net. Yeah. It all requires everybody else to maintain the lie and maintain their position in order for it to continue to work. Just like yourself, I understand that world to a, to a degree. I was a, a solution architect and a consultant for two of the largest consulting firms in the world. And I worked out in, in East Asia and I did operations here in uh, the U.S. And I can tell you, I've never mentioned companies or anything like that. But it was some of the darkest times in my life and the highest paid at the same time. It did not matter how much money you put in my pocket. Every single night when I saw the lives that were being impacted by our decisions and the way that people were treated across the board, um, you know, peers that were in other countries that were being discriminated against just based on their location and talked about differently in the same room. It's fucking awful. And it did. It tore me apart at night. It led me to, you know, drinking and, you know, being in a depression and suicidal ideations, all those things, right? 
And I think that it's good to say this out loud because it is real. Everybody that is in these situations that are joined hands in that net to maintain that fucking facade, right? Every single one of them is stretched all fucking back. They're hurt so bad because of the same things you said. Only difference is, rather than having your arms ripped off by the net, you let go of the net. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Now, my, my struggles, just, just to be clear, folks listening, my struggles for mental health, mental health mm. predated my, my hiring at this company. I was in a very, very low position in life. I was not making any money before I started living the way I live now. I had real serious issues. And after I changed my life, I was elevated to a higher economic point. But being an elevated to this higher economic point, I realized that the same lies that were being told at the level I was at before are just being told writ large in this, in this other space. And I was able to affect greater change then. The issues I had being tied up in knots were just being around a lot of people that were perpetually lying. That's what caused me challenges. Before, the real serious challenges in my life were the fact that I was drinking multiple times a week, using drugs pretty much every weekend, sleeping around as much as I could harboring massive resentments against my family, being extremely overweight and doing nothing about it. That's what put me in the place I refer to as it. The issue with the societal lies, that's, that just is, it just is totally accepted. It's if I'm getting mine, who gives a shit? And it's so toxic. It is so, so, so toxic. And I could see that people were being broken by it. Absolutely. The, you know, you, if, if you're lying all day, you feel like a liar, like, there's no escaping. But there's so, a lot of denial. And I'd a love lot to of ask BS a like question that. on this then. Yeah, yeah, please. So please. we're looking at this um, through the lens of trying to protect ourselves as a society from this facade, right? What do we do about it, right? We have all these situations where people have meshed together and they're basically part of a pendulum and they're moving back and forth and they're hanging on to it. There's a couple of books out there that use this metaphor. Um, and I love it because good and bad swing back and forth. It, at some moment, it'll break and it'll go the other way. But those people that are sitting in there and they know that they're in a bad situation, but they don't realize everybody else is, um, we're not going to change them, right, from the outside in. You can't show somebody the light. They have to see the light themselves, right? So how do we, you, I, or somebody else that's discerned that this situation is taking place, how do we get them to traverse that exit plan of leaving something like that or finding a new path? You have to become the living example of what you wish others to see. So, mm. you know, if you go to my page, you can see, man, I was before. It's very clearly documented. There's an image, a physical representation of my being, and the body is a representation of the mind. And so you can see the serious mental issues I had in that image. And then to the right of that image, there's another image of me looking very different. And so that is all that's needed. When we change ourselves, our physical presentation, and other people are able to see it through the beauty of social media, one doesn't really need to say, you say, if you engage in the behaviors you're engaging now, you will have this result, the result you, you know, one has. If you engage in certain other behaviors, you can have this result, which is the result represented by my and that's all I really needed to do. You know, I create content every day, various philosophical, metaphysical messaging and whatnot. The thing that gets, that has created the greatest amount of change in others, folks that I've worked with, folks on my team and folks interested in changing their life is a simple physical presentation. I looked and felt, parentheses, and felt because the way we look is the way we feel. I looked and felt like this. I now look and feel like this. 
Would you like the same change? And that's it. That's how I get people out of the matrix. You know, I got, I got folks that kids weren't talking to them before they started living right, who just loathe themselves. They have a lot of negative self-talk, a lot of negative self-image, a lot of negative self-perception. And it's impossible to perceive yourself poorly if you look much better than you did. So if you look poor, you are going to think of yourself as poor, you know, spiritually poor. If you look good, you're going to think of yourself as spiritually good. And showing those contrasts, that contrast has been enough for me thus far to attract a lot of people to me that need to see the light. So I, I love where you're coming from. And I'd like to add in here that I believe, and I probably, I'm actually, I'm positive this lies within your message, is that that transformation process is less physical image, more personal understanding of what that representation has become in the physical manifestation, what the root cause is for feeling that way that's giving you the habit that is producing the body fat or the mental issues or the continued, you know, problems that we have that are related to what we consume. We're made of what we consume. Like literally, when somebody said that to me once, I had to stop for a minute. And I was like, shit, dude, I ate a lot of nachos and you are nachos for like a fucking year. Like a year, your body is physically comprised of the shit you threw down your neck. You're running around like a sack of trash on the New York City corner that's full of fucking like half-eaten Starbucks, a fucking hoagie, a pizza crust, fucking a half a Nathan's hot dog, a bagel with fucking a pigeon on it, and everything in between. That's what you're actually made of. But the problem is we don't know why we've got our head in the trash can. Yeah, and, and you make a very, very good point. The physical representation is the hook. It is what attracts people. But the real change is inside. Exter exterior change that I made is simply a fraction, a representational fraction of the internal change that I made. And the two are linked. It's a representation and of how much you love yourself. Oh, people 100%. only love you and follow you if you love and follow your own passions and self. The moment you love yourself more, you become a representation to those around you as something that they can do themselves. You give them hope. Hope is what transforms lives. And I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when, when you engage, so at base, drinking alcohol, using drugs, not investing love in you know, romantic exploits, overeating. These are at base, hopeless acts. They are at base, worthless acts. So the actor in engaging with them feels hopeless and becomes worthless in their own mind. So if we want to have hope for our lives and feel valued, you know, and, and have worth, we need to do the work necessary to shed ourselves of this. Really, 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 really serious issue I had is I was never fully committed in my relationship. This probably more than anything else, the drug use, the alcohol use, the overeating, the body image, and all that stuff. The greatest source of pain for me was the, the challenges I had in my interpersonal relationship. My so-called committed relationships, I was never committed. And my, during my single times, all that awful nihilistic cooking up stuff, that brought me the greatest pain. And it's because written into cheating, sleeping around, and all these other things is like a basic evolutionary form of self-destruction. The man that did that in the pre-modern times would be slain. This guy is such a liability. He's sleeping around and like these people have partners and he's not Fucking committed Caligula. to his people. 
Yeah, I mean, this, this, <laughs> these, these, these behaviors were psychotic. And yeah. a lot of the other behaviors, like the overconsumption of food during the pre-modern era, this is counter to our evolutionary thing. So when we are fighting our DNA, when we are fighting, when we are going through culturally accepted, normalized behaviors around being a ginormous, obese, disgusting blob, smoking and drinking, which has all been normalized, it's all legalized and whatnot, infidelity and polyamory and all this garbage, which was never accepted until the very recent, we are running counter toward against, let's say, thousands of generations. We have one or two generations where it's been normalized, and then we have our DNA, which has evolved over thousands of generations. No wonder it brings us pain. But I was so blind to see, and I was so selfish and wrapped up in perpetual pleasure chasing and uh, narcissism and vanity and, and selfish egoism that I thought, oh, well, this feels good. And it's accepted and it's totally cool for me to be single now. So I'm just going to do it. And this is psychotic. This is psychotic. So what I teach is that we need a return to a traditional way of living. And I mean traditional inside. Our great, great, great grandparents did not have massive anxiety disorders. They grew their own food. They did not have massive depressive episodes. They were not accepting low-level behavior from their contemporaries. Obesity rate 150 years ago wasn't, what is it, 70% now, 60% now? Like these are absurd things. They've just become accepted because everybody wants to wear the mask. Look at the health level of the people making laws. Look at the health, le health level of people at all. You know, I think we had a surgeon general in the US some years ago that was obese, maybe even more with the obese. I mean, this is the top health official in the land. Now, I really don't pay attention to politics, but these small anecdotes, these things are quite metaphoric for the serious societal rifts, the chasms between what was and to some degree what should be considering back in the day, there were not really a massive teen suicide epidemic uh, versus what is now and what's accepted, which is these problems exist. Let's create another problem through legalized uh, narcotics to just put this horrible thing. It's mask. You mask the problem with the legalized narcotic and then you wear a mask and say, it's fine. It's fine. Twofold. It's also created. Oh, all of this is environmental. It's all environmental. Right. 100%. Yeah. Between the food lobby, the farmer. Is, is yeah. huge. Yeah. The, the, like I said earlier, you know, the whole onus on, you know, creating that at the same time, it's, there's a two-sided coin that we have to find a way to address while we're addressing what has been consumed and who we are and what we're becoming and what is acceptable. In order to change that side, there has to be some form of creation of a new pathway, kind of like what you're putting out there and saying that, you know, you have these particular uh, methods with which you achieved success. And I think that each and every person um, can benefit from seeing other people's successes. Especially those of us that have struggled with serious issues. Like if I was born in a, to a stable family, extremely stable family unit, that two parents that didn't carry their own childhood trauma well into their 50s, 60s, and 70s, then I wouldn't be able to speak on this. But those of us that have come from an extremely chaotic internally stressful background and then arrived at a, a different destination. And, and just so everyone understands, I, have, I actually haven't arrived everywhere. Every morning that I engage in the process that <laughs> Nobody keeps, has. We're, we're always arriving. It's only the denier that says, oh, I've made it. I make it every morning. So I have a very strict morning process. This is a mandatory 4 a.m. wake up that I have not missed in years. This is a daily physical exercise that I have not missed in years. I actually train twice a day most days and intentional nutrition that I have not missed in years. So that's what allows me to arrive, but we're constantly arriving. And those of us that have come from a place of darkness and are constantly arriving at a place of light, these are the folks that are able to transmit the change 
And the message is universal. I mean, there are always folks in the human bands and groups that provided a holistic spiritual wellness message. This is the shaman or the elder or the wise person or the creative person or all of these people. And these positions have largely been eliminated by, from society. Religion is, is an ever-diminishing force. And the, the role of spirituality, lived spirituality in the day-to-day existence, by and large, especially in a place like New York, and I'm just going to guess other big cities around the world, is also diminishing. So where do we find this? People turn towards things like Burning Man, these alternative religions, the worship of uh, the sex drive. This is an alternative religion. The overuse of drugs and hallucinogens to create some sort of spiritual pathway, whereas the, the hallucinogens just bring out natural chemicals that would be in your, that are in your heart and soul and brainstem anyway. Like th- this is this is absolute chaos. This is pure chaos, and you called it. This is created. There's a pharma, pharmacological uh, lobby. There is a food lobby. There are medical lobbies and various lobbies that profit billions and billions of dollars off of the human suffering, individualized human suffering. And this is what I'm here to fight. I refuse to, I will not take, I will not take their drugs. I will not use their dating apps. I will not drink their alcohol. I will not eat their food. I will not do it. That's a um, very tough platform to maintain in this day and age. A hundred percent. I, uh, I would also like to mention that um, the, human mind is enduring a lot more than it ever has. The ADHD and the chronic inability to focus on more than one thing for a short amount of time can't be, it could probably be directly linked to looking at the fuck, a slot machine wheel of social media that goes from anger to happy to sad to kittens to angry to happy to atrocity. And you spin it in front of your face and wait to see how you're going to feel when you step away. It's not going not gonna to work for you. So it's, it's an uh, emotional consumption as well that people have taken on that is allowing them to also become complacent with all of the different sects of society that have the struggles that you're describing and making them commonplace. If you show me a person that is in these struggles over and over on my phone, eventually I'm just going to assume that they're commonplace and that there's nothing I can do about them. And again, I think that it goes back to something that I bring up in the show a lot, and that's to be a lighthouse. Have to be a lighthouse. You will never change someone else. They will change themselves through the vision that they get in what you're doing for yourself. You can lay a path. You can put out stones. You can do everything you want, but they've got to find the light, find the path, make it, forge it, get there, and then build their own methods based on what they learned from the person that's giving them that new manual that they used to help them find insight to their lenses, because everybody wears prescription lenses that are based on the experiences that they get over time or that they go through. Each one gives you a 0.5, a 0.6, something like that. And you collect those. You can't see what I see. We swap glasses. I look like I've got a giant head. You look like you've got a pinhead, right? That's how that works. We'll never see the same. But if you tell me 
about how you got to where you are. And I feel that you believe in yourself. And I see you putting in the time. And I see you loving yourself every day. Well, I'm going to stand next to you. And I'm going to start doing the same toe touches and the same jogging in place, or I'm going to go and I'm going to pick up stuff at the store next to you. And I'm going to say, you know what? This guy's happy because honestly, that's what it all comes down to. It doesn't matter what you look like. It matters how much you love yourself. The, the way you look comes with it. It comes with that. I think beautiful people are people that love themselves and we don't even realize how they look anymore. You can look into someone's face that loves themselves and you will adore them. Somebody that's being authentic, you will adore them. I want to give Gary a chance to talk, if you don't mind. We've been kind of uh, leaving him in the wayside. And I love the, uh, the background that he has, and he's always got a different perspective. Yeah, well, I had one question. Was there like a day or a certain time when you decided, this is it, I'm going to take this left turn? Was it a something that happened or what made you decide, Hey, I'm giving up the drugs, the alcohol, the, the food, the womanizing and, and that kind of thing. And, and what made you say, okay, I'm going to go this other way. Was it a hard left or did you ease your way going, you know, towards this different lifestyle? I decided not to be a low level bitch anymore. I mean, I was considering killing myself, which is the most selfish act a man can do. Mm. You know, I, I had driven myself to death's door January 19th, 2021, or I had been considering seriously considering killing myself for some time. And I thought about how much of a loser behavior that is, you know, to take myself away from my family and take myself away from the world is just the ultimate act of cowardice. And that's when I decided that, hey, you know, maybe my life is worth living. Maybe I don't need to be overweight forever. Maybe I don't need to blame everyone for my problems forever. Maybe I can change. And I haven't looked back since. And that's the key is, you know, my ego is so high. This is the thing that holds everyone back is that we all see who you are. We know the way you feel about yourself, but you are so ego-driven as to not lower your shield for 30 seconds to reach out to someone who was in the same position you are in in order to ask for their help. So Gary, that, that I hope answers your question. Yeah, I just said, you know, it's a, a lot of times people need that rock bottom moment or something like that to make the change and talk about it a lot like comfortability or being I is like the worst thing you could be because it's like you'll just stay there forever you're you're thriving you want to thrive more you're in you know broke or unhealthy or you know an addict or something hit rock bottom you know you'll want to change but most people just you know kind of like the people you're talking about like faking their way through the the tech job like they're making hundred. $50,000 a year. They got their Volvo. They got a decent house. <laughs> you know, like everybody else looking at them, they're like, oh, that's the American dream. Fucking keep it going and nine to five and happy hour and fucking, you know, weekend and then back. You know, we're, we're told that that's what you're supposed to do, you know, and like that's the fucking top. Like, if you, nail you that. don't, then you're left out. Yeah. Like, that's the American dream, literally, is like, sit there, look forward, go to school, four years of college, regurgitate everything they teach you, starter kit, fucking job at H&R Block or whatever the fuck, and then, you know, you move your way up and get that first mortgage and then, you know, get close to paying that off at your second mortgage and not, you know, and got two kids and fucking, you know, $200,000, $300,000 in debt still trying to pay off college and you're like, yeah, you're fucking nailing it, you know, and that's a, that's a fucking nightmare to me, but that's kind of what they, they pump up and tell you and then you know probably 
start using all the different types of shit to deal with that every day. And then, you know, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. Cause that's what is jammed into your fucking brain since elementary school. Really? That's like the path that they tell you you have to be on. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty nuts. None of that really attracts me unless, unless the person wants that. And here's the thing. Most of the people that are doing what you're describing, they don't want that. I posted a piece. <laughs> Not at all. I, I put, they don't want it, but they're still doing it. So my thing is, so I waited tables for a very long time. I'm glad you went to I have, this. I'm curious about living in the food service industry in New Orleans. Yeah. So I, I, I've done every front of house job. And for those unfamiliar, front of house are at a restaurant or the jobs that are customer facing. So in contrast to back of house, which are jobs that are not customer facing, dishwasher, cook, chef, porter, things like that. Front of house would be waiter, bartender, uh, maitre d, host, manager. I did all of those. And never in a million years will I ever knock the person doing that. However, <laughs> I didn't want to. So I was doing something off and on and off for about 10 years. I was in the service industry on and off for a decade. I never, ever wanted to do it because I didn't mind. It wasn't, it wasn't my passion. I wasn't interested in doing it. But I had to to pay my rent, and I had limited myself to believe that I could only do what I had to, not what I wanted to, not what I was passionate about. And this is the issue. If someone, Gary, is walking the path they're describing and said, I've always wanted to work in a tech firm. I've always wanted to own a Volvo. I've always wanted to, you know, I didn't grow up with much money, so I'm cool taking out a mortgage. I always wanted to do this. And they did it. My hat would be off. You actually are doing what you want to do, and you're my age. That's unreal. But the people doing that, people waiting tables, including your boy. I didn't want to do that. So it was awful. So when you go to do something that you don't want to do every day, it's awful. And this is what everyone does. 99.9% of the population do not know that they are riding a bicycle tire over and over again, and they didn't even pick their spoke. They're just swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging, and they have no idea that it's even happening. Someone even chose where they're at gave them their assignment through implicit biases or judgments or shame or guilt or whatever was taught to them growing up, right? I'm kind of curious about something because you are very open about debauchery back, you know, in the day, younger years where we tend to just go ape shit. I was in the army. You know, I understand what you're talking about. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a party. It's clubs. It's, you know, it's Tuesday. This is the night we go here. It's Friday. It's the night we go here. It's, it's all those things. And I found that in my life, one of the harder things to deal with was less the actions, more the guilt and shame that I lived with each and every time I committed some kind of, you know, societal or, you know, personal moral compass infraction. I think that there's a form of PTSD that exists in that. And I think that people don't give themselves a break in that regard. And I'm curious to see how someone like yourself made amends with yourself in order to make change. Yeah, what you're describing is the accrual of karmic debt. When mm -hmm. we take acts that are against the call of our conscience, which is a universal thing that links all humans, then we accrue karmic debt and we pay for it in time, in uh, pain, you know, spiritual pain, and in not getting the future we desire because we got the short-term bullshit that we wanted at the moment. So in order to get past karmic debt, what I did and what everyone needs to do is to stop accruing it. That's the first thing. Over time, 
your karmic debt will dissipate if you're just living a life that doesn't accrue more. But if you're adding to the tally, adding to the tally, adding to the tally, the pain is going to get worse. The regret is going to get worse. So I use my regret as a guideline. When I woke up hungover, okay, well, I know what I did to get there. So let's not incur that. When I woke up with regret from having cheated, uh, so let's not make sure we're not doing that. When I uh, looked myself in the mirror and I did not like the fat uh, gut that was protruding in from, front of my chest, well, I know what to do not to do that anymore. And so these, all of these acts of accruing karmic debt by injuring myself or by hurting other people or just by lying to myself by wearing the mask were incurring more and more debt. After I stopped engaging those acts, the debt load decreased and it got to the point where I would be in tears during my workout for months on end, thinking about the women I disrespected. And so after those tears stopped, I knew, okay, well, my karmic debt around my relationships, at least these relationships that I was thinking about, has been cleared. And the next round of debt would come in. And after I finally cleared it, I was able to walk with a clear conscience and a clear heart. And then I was able to externalize it. So I did all of this internal work on the damage I'd done to myself and others. And then having fully healed, I can now speak on it. The person that's fucking their life up at the club, at the buffet... <laughs> He can't speak on it. And if he speaks on it, it's like, dude, weren't you, like, you are not healthy. Yeah. Like, Don't what, give why me are, health advice with nacho cheese on your shirt. Yeah, like, please <laughs> don't talk about being in, please don't talk about being in shape at, ever. And please don't talk about healthy relationships when you are, were at the club last week. Like, it, it's nuts. So that's how, that's how I was able to, to deal with it. The debauchery, man, I was deep in it. Like, New Orleans, they have these, a lot of raves. Like, they say New York is a city that never sleeps. That's, Nonsense. New Orleans is a city that never sleeps. There are 24-hour bars. The party starts Ugh. typically, going out starts typically around 11 or 12, which is when a lot of the service industry people get off work. And then things really kick off around two or three, and then things end around five or six. I pulled plenty of all-nighters, high on acid, can't see my face on mushrooms, blowing lines, <laughs> and just getting totally destroyed. And then I would be a wreck. I would have multi-day hangovers. I'd have these panic attacks the anxiety attacks and also the post uh, hallucinogen and post coke uh, anxiety attacks. And it was awful. Like every one of those binges and debaucherous things that added like a month of karmic debt of me living this life. And now that I've done this for two and a half years, that is all gone. I would, I want everyone to understand this. I would rather die than drink or do drugs again. Understand that. And that's real. I that understand is real. That. There's, I think somebody could do with the moderation, like I could do acid tomorrow and not do it for three years or six years or six days and like have a good time. And then, you know, and there's certain things I can't do that with, but there's certain things that I can, you know, like if there was like, like I can't smoke like a lot of weed just that makes me lazy and like makes me go into headspace that I don't really like. Um, I'm not a good drinker. I like, I feel like dog shit for three or four days after I drink too much, just don't really like it. But I could eat some mushrooms and have a good time and, you know, paint and draw and hang out with a couple friends and then just be fine after that. And then not do it for another year or two. The situation was just there where it seemed like it would be a good thing, you know, and I could, you know, I think that there's moderation in a lot of things. Uh, me personally, like, I know where I don't want to go and I know where I can go every now and then if uh you know, there's a DJ I really like, and he was playing at a rave, and I went with some friends, stayed out all night. Probably won't do that again for six months, but, like, I can do that, you know? And, like, I think it's, like, it doesn't have to be all or nothing depending on the person. 
Like, I don't really drink very much, but I could go have some drinks with some friends in the right environment. You know, I might be dragging a little the next day. My 20s, I would get shit at house, and that might last three days. And, you know, that's not I what I want to do. I my but, 20s. Yeah, but it, I think, like, you know, I, with the karmic debt and stuff, like, I could go do stuff like that and not do anybody wrong or dirty or, like, you know, do anything that I feel like has hurt anybody else, you know? And I think there were times and, you know, situations where that wasn't the case and I got drunk and fucking fought somebody or, you know, screwed around with, you know, girls that I probably shouldn't have or whatever, but there's, there's, are those times, but, you know, these days I could go and, you know, it's not like I do that very often. Can't remember the last time really I did, but, you know, like I could do it, you know, when the shrooms I'll eat, I think they're from, you know, the earth and they're natural and you can eat a few and have a good time, you know, once or twice a year. Like, I think that's something that each person could do. The synthetic shit, I'm not trying to go with anything man-made or lab-made or pharmaceutical-made because who the fuck knows what's in that. But if it's something that's natural, like, I don't know. I think each person can make that decision. I do I like hear you. intent. I think intent is something that we have to put in front of this. When, when chosen, these items are chosen they're not always used for nefarious intentions, right? Just like pharmacologically, there are drugs that exist for me and for others that I know of. There was an explanation of this to me. We're not bagging on you, by the way. Um, we just like to give people a lot of different options within their journey. And for myself, um, I have a issue with alcohol. It will wreck me in a second. It is not anything I can physically consume. Don't care what anybody else consumes. However, me, it's a fucking hard no. I, I can't do it. But I do know that, you know, psilocybin is used for people that I know in the military with PTSD, you know, and there are times where there are opportunities to create moments of clarity to allow you to address the issues within yourself if properly addressed with the right intention going into it, right? And I say that because drugs pharmacologically, like for myself, in order for me to find a place to address my issues or even see them, that they existed at all because I was in such a tornado. It required a certain amount of pharmacological intervention through a medical professional who is very skilled in mindfulness, meditation, and things of that nature. And I was given that window of opportunity where the tornado stops temporarily. I get my psychological you know, therapies in place I start to address my personal issues. I sit on my ass and I've meditated for four years. I haven't missed a single day. It is something that I will preach to anybody and everybody, just like you exercise to wring out your karmic debt. I sit on my ass and allow it to come out of the top of my head for about 20 minutes to an hour every morning. That's why I you always up. wear a hat. Just in I case do wear a hat because out. my karmic debt is real dirty. It hangs out like a Play-Doh thing. <laughs> It, it, it is. And one of the reasons I like I like doing podcasts is because I get to meet folks. You know, I don't expect a thousand percent. If I expected a thousand percent alignment with everyone I spoke with, I'd That'd throw myself weird. out. Yeah, that's <laughs> absurd. But 
my philosophy is very different from what you two are describing. My 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 philosophy. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Not only did it work for me at base, if one is using something external to figure out an internal issue, then one is not preparing themselves internally to face that issue in the future. I'm not saying that that external thing doesn't help. What I am saying is the reliance on that external thing does not create a future I desire. It should not be relied I desi- upon. I agree I desi- with you. It's a I desire, yeah, I desire a future in which my serious internal issues I am able to treat internally. If I am reliant on this effective thing, let's just assume for a second that the psilocybin is effective. Well, then I rob myself of my ability to heal myself. And yeah. how can I heal others if I say, well, I got healing through this thing. And Gary, when you, when you speak up, you know, you know, you can do this and be okay every six months, six weeks, whatever it is. That makes perfect sense. And use the M word, which I hear quite a lot, moderation. People also say balance, the, you know, taking days off and, you know, using the weekend and doing things like that. And this is what vast majority of people do. But I am after extreme results. I don't really want moderate input. So I don't, I, excuse me, I don't want moderate output for my life. So I'm not going to do moderate input. I'm not going to treat drugs or alcohol or anything with moderation. I'm going to be extreme because I desire extreme results. You know, when I was fat, I desired a six-pack. The six-pack in contemporary, there are far fewer millionaires than there are people with six-packs. And yet everybody wants to be a millionaire. I wanted a six-pack and I got one. And I didn't get one by doing the moderate thing, the balanced thing. I got one by doing the extreme thing. I was extremely disciplined for many months. I was extremely serious about my food and, and, and all of that. And so I hear you. And, and most people will say, you know, I can do this. I can do that. One he, thing I hear all the time is drinking isn't that bad. I just have a couple of drinks. With my friends. I hate alcohol. And I, but, but here's the thing. A lot of people would rather side with what, and that's cool. That's fine. Folks that are interested in doing so, well, then they are not running the same program I am. And it's all good. But I know that when I took mushrooms, I wouldn't be able to get up at four the next morning and uh, do my philosophical thing, post, and train. And I, I told the wor- world, I put my word, that for as long as I live, I'm going to get up at 4 a.m., train, and put out content to the world. If I took mushrooms, I probably wouldn't be able to do that. So that contradicts what I'm interested in doing. But that's okay. Of course, absolutely. Everybody has their path. We're all on a different journey. We're all going to be at different crossroads. We're all going to require different forms of awakening to ourselves and discernment. Just like you required hitting the ground, that's how a seed grows, right? Has to hit the dirt. Other people might be lucky enough to be able to pull a parachute right before they hit, but they still need it. That's their bottom. Just like you said, those inputs that people get as a child that develops them, who they are, all those things, that's something that compounds that you have to address and they're not always going to be equal to everybody else. So trauma is not the same for scenario A as it is for scenario B. If I'm raised with some decent inputs, it's going to fucking shock the shit out of me when I see my mom punched, right? But if I've been around it every single day, I might walk out the door as a kid and go, motherfucker does this shit all the time. Is that what you went through? Of course, everybody went through shit like this in some way, shape, or form. I mean, did you see your 
Did you see your no, mom yeah, getting yeah, struck? Yeah, I've struck. seen those kinds of things. Absolutely. Holy I shit. grew up with I grew up with drugs. I grew up in a field without a front door. It was in a very, very rural area called Okeechobee, Florida. It sucked ass. I had a skunk in my wall for a fucking month every night that crawled in there. We were we shopped at the Denton bin. It sucks. Took me a long time to realize that it didn't fucking matter. None of that made any difference in who I am except for the things that I chose as my reality and my persona. I would take that going forward and act to the mask. And the problem when you grow up in a traumatic household is there's probably a good chance that you have a fractured mask. You got a sack of them early because they kept you from getting swatted. They kept you from getting bullied. They kept you from getting... So you had a personality for every fucking thing and you ran out into the world. You fucking hit every job, every career. You're a fucking hero because you are never going to want to look back at that kid that's carrying all those masks and all those personalities. And either you hit somebody drunk driving or you come to the realization that you've been fucking running up against the wall or you have a mental breakdown and find yourself in a straight jacket or whatever it is, whatever your aha moment is, then you look back and you go, oh, fuck. You mean these are all a choice? Every Absolutely. single one of them. That's, a, that's it. One thing about the cosmos, existence, reality is a fucking joke. If everybody realized that their reality was a choice, they'd fucking shit themselves. Isn't that amazing? Is that we have a certain number of choices every day, yet what people want to do is to try to exert control over things they have no control over. Like people's obsession with politics, professions out that they're not involved in, the athletic achievements of others, they won't involve them like, I used to be, like I said before, we can go back to the sports thing. I could name, I didn't care to meet any of my neighbors. I didn't really care to meet, be around my family, but I could name every starter and bench player on New York City's professional teams. I couldn't do a single pull-up when I started. I couldn't do five burpees. Like this was, this is the level of delusion I was at. I invested so little time in myself and the choices. And I love that. That was a great breakdown of mindset. We are not in control of most things in our life. We are in control of a few number of things primarily the choices we make every day. That's, that's the craziest mindset unlock I've been able to discover on this. Through choosing differently every day, I realize that's all we have control over. Very, I have control yeah. over like three, three things. The time we wake up, what we eat, and if we choose to work out. Those are literally the three things that, we, that everyone, from the richest man on, from Jeff Bezos to the person in uh, maximum security penitentiary, they have control over those three things. And that's all essentially we have control over. Dude, my, I lost my house in an apartment fire. My apartment burned less than a year, August 1st Sorry, of last I year. I saw that. I, that's a very traumatic event. It also can put some fucking perspective on material shit, too. It was, it was the greatest thing that happened to me since I decided that my life was worth living. It was the greatest gift. I got up the next morning at 2.45. My typical time is 4 a.m. I got up at 2.45. I continued to show gratitude, and it led me to this place that I own. The fire was my biggest test. When you lose everything in apartment fire and still show gratitude, that's when you decide that life is a gift. No matter what happens, life is a gift. I lost all this material bullshit and my content because I was cutting YouTube at the time. It went from more cultural discussions and philosophical discussions to serious mindset and gratitude training because I realized, you know, it put things in perspective. What if I had been in that fire? You know, totally whatever apartment, you've described your apartment fire. Gary, I'm sure you've had your own apartment fire, whatever, whatever that is for you. Everyone has had it. But most people take apartment fire and say, I was burned. I am a victim. 
I can never look at all these things, all of these things that have been taken from me. Guys like us, we've decided, yes, we went to the fire and we came out tempered steel is the metaphor of the phoenix. You know, the fire is a symbol of rebirth, the everlasting flame. It's Jewish symbolism. There's like an everlasting flame that burns over the ark in every synagogue. Like th- there are things that we can do with it. And it's remarkable to hear. I, that, see, and here's the thing. I grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. When I hear about someone living in a place in Okeechobee, is Okeechobee? Yep. With no door and a skunk in the wall, then it gives me gratitude I am more grateful when I hear about other people's problems than when I feel like I have succeeded. I was hanging out with my homegirl over the weekend. Uh, she had one of her kids with, with her. I never met him. He had, he was three, and he had this ginormous scar running from here to here because he had pediar- pediatric heart surgery as mm. a few months old. They didn't know if he was going to make it. It was right before COVID. And the amount of gratitude I felt after I parted ways with her was shocking. The amount of gratitude I feel right now, I didn't deal with that shit. I grew up in a co-op building with a doorman on the Upper West Side. Like, let's be real here. Like, people have serious issues. I didn't see my parents hit each other. Like, this is fucking crazy. This is fucking crazy. But our own pain is our own pain. It's all relative, man. It's all relative. My my pain is the greatest pain I know. And when you describe your pain, I say, hmm, well, my childhood might have been chaotic, but I definitely didn't see my parents striking each other. So let me take a step back and say, Jay's actually been through some shit that I haven't. He has the proper perspective. Gary, I'd love to hear what, what your trauma was, but I'm sure you went through an apartment fire too. Oh, you, yeah, I mean, you have no idea. Go ahead, Gary. I, I got all kind of shit, you know. I'm from Cleveland, not a great spot, really. Uh, you know, there's gangs and violence and drugs and, you know, and, and everybody works really hard for very little there. You know, people, factory jobs are, it's very blue collar. You know, if you have a job, you just kill yourself till the factory shuts down and then you're fucked or till you get laid off or a robot takes your job or whatever. And people just grind. It's minus 10 degrees in the fucking winter and it's murder in the summer. It's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of shit there, but you know, I, uh, you know, I grew up in, you know, broken home like most, but my mom worked three jobs, but she was always there. You know, I, I feel like she's a saint. She fucking made sure we had food on the table every day. We didn't have designer clothes, but we were clean and neat and our shit fit every day. And, you know, there's a lot of love in the home and with my grandparents and my mom. And, you know, my dad tried, you know, and did what he could do, um, you know, when he was around. And, uh, you know, just I went and, and chose some paths that I shouldn't have. And, you know, part of it was just the environment I was in. Part of it was my own choices, you know, like my brother fucking didn't make any of the mistakes I did. I don't think he's ever been drunk in his life, never tried a drug. You know, I went to college right off the bat, full ride, all that kind of shit. I mean, I didn't let him go outside at all for a lot of years, but, uh, you know, I made a lot of my own problems in the environment, getting involved with gangs and shit like that growing up. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that stuff made me into the person that I am. And, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't have to deal with much growing up. And then I see them have issues once they're older and they have no fucking idea how to deal with anything. And, you know, when I got to college, uh, you know, it was very hard for me to get in and there was not very many people like me here or, you know, at school. And there's people that the littlest thing would just fucking wreck them, you know? And I'd be like, man, you got a fucking D on your paper. Like you're fucking, you know, they don't put that on your diploma. Roll on. That's (laughs) so low level. The grade grubbing and shit is so low level. But I think what links all three of us, and I'm going to go on a limb and say every single person watching this, perhaps every single person in the developed world is the family stuff. We learn the pain through mo- behaviors modeled by the people we are around. We're, we're born on not, a roller coaster. 
Yeah. And, and the rare individual that seems okay, I know isn't. There's some pain. Even, even, the, even the most happy-go-lucky person, there's some pain. Something was taken from them. Something was lost. We've all seen American Psycho. The guy that's got everything set straight is a fucking lunatic. Yeah, everyone is nuts. All these people are nuts. And the more people I meet on this path, the more I realize that the only difference between us and them or me and you or them and them is the willingness that we are to be open about our trauma. The person that's healed or is healing is far more willing to be open about the trauma than the person who is in denial about it. They want to keep it to them. It's a safety thing. It's a persona. It is comfortable. It's almost reassuring. Not almost. It's reassuring. A lot of people have this pained individual Thing, and I speak about this openly, that I honestly thought that my personality was based on my trauma and that's what defined me. And now it does define me, but it defines me in the other way. I'm defined in opposition to it, whereas the pained individual, the unhealed or unhealing individual is defined in concert, in parallel with. And it's, it's nuts. It is nuts for me to be around people that are in such denial about what has happened and what is happening. It is nutty. And that's the beauty of content because we can put messages out there and whoever it resonates with, well, it resonates with and everyone else, it just crashes over them like a wave. And that's all good. You remember how many billions? Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. You remember watching a parade back in the day and they used to fucking grab handfuls of shitty candy and throw them out, right? To me, I consider this the opportunity to use keys and throw them out. Whoever picks them up is none of my business. How they use them, none of my business. But all it takes is the right person to pick up the right key at the right time. Then they can use it on their own. In the meantime, as long as I keep throwing keys from the parade and just moving on my way, staying on the route, it's going to work itself out. Give people What kind keys. of assholes whipping keys at fucking I do kids like at the a parade, idea though. of fucking I mean, thinking like, I'm doing a good thing, but actually blinding people. fucking peppering kids with <laughs> fucking metal gun, objects. Like a t-shirt gun. <laughs> yeah, like, I'll take a Werther's Original over a key to the eye, personally. <laughs> we need yeah. to change it to Werther's Originals. I like keys, though, just because it opens up something. That's pretty funny. Yeah, opens up your eyeball when you hit with one <laughs> psycho throwing them at you. <laughs> So, John, I I appreciate you coming on and sharing your message. I think that um, you are a lighthouse. I think that you've set really good example for people to follow. I like that you're an open book. Um, I think that that's something that people could learn from. And it's not that you're exposing yourself to judgment. You're allowing yourself to heal. Big difference. And that step to authenticity looks like a cliff, but is actually about a curb. It's really not that hard to be yourself and actually love yourself and allow people to love you for those reasons. Um, For that, I thank you for coming on and sharing your perspective, your story, and your passion. If you want to take a moment and tell everybody where they can find you and um, get some of your assistance, uh, go ahead. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. You two are clearly on similar path and, you know, a lot of love there from from me to you guys. Folks interested in checking me out can find me at NYC Foodways on Instagram. That is at NYC F-O-O-D-W-A-Y-S at NYC Foodways, Foodways Coaching, A Light in the Darkness. We are all in this together and I appreciate the opportunity to be in this together with you two. Awesome. Gary. Uh, we didn't really touch on the Foodways thing that much. Uh, you know, Yo, I'll if, have uh, to come if, back if, for if round two. Have, yeah. Uh, if you could just give us like the two minute version of it, Please. just for the people that tuned in for that, uh, you know, I'm really curious about it. Certainly. So, food a food 
is by definition a cultural pathway through food. And our culture's pathway through food is totally broken. And so in opposition to this brokenness, I rescue food. And as part of my coaching program, I provide my clients with holistic wellness, nutrition-based eating programs. Food rescue program is, I've set them up across the country. The biggest one is in New York City. At its peak, we are feeding 7,000 families a week based on food that would otherwise be thrown out. This is edible but unsaleable food. And I set it up within that massive tech company. So in opposition to the broken culture of the tech company, I set up, not being instructed to, just on my own volition, this food rescue project. And it was cranking. I'm no longer at the company, but the project exists in kind of like a zombie form. That's like the macro food ways project. Um, New York City itself has a lot of food ways being a city of immigrants. There's food cultural pathways through food from all over the world. And then on my program, all of my clients have a mess up relationship with food as I did. And I had to create a new way of engaging with food as nutrition, as self-love, as self-care, as uh, intentional way of living in order to create a new food culture for myself, a food culture based on eating what I need to, not always eating what I want to. And it's whole fruits and vegetables, lean animal protein, and condiments like soy sauce and salsa, which are essentially the two most widely consumed condiments in the world. If you think about it, what two condiments do the greatest number of people eat? Salsa, which just means sauce in Spanish, and soy sauce, which is eaten maybe three, three or four billion people around the world. So instead of loading up on ranch dressing and all this gnarly shit that's going to make you ill, I hate ranch it's dressing. Just, it's yeah, just me too. The, the Food Waste Coaching Program is predicated upon healing your broken relationship with food by returning to a more traditional method of eating. We eat lean animal protein. If you're a vegan, vegan or vegetarian, then you eat soy protein and tofu seitan, tempeh. If you are a carnivore or an omnivore like me, we eat lean animal protein like turkey, chicken breast, uh, occasionally chicken thighs, tilapia, cod, tuna, the list goes on, lean ground beef. And then we all eat fruit and vegetables. This is just what we've been eating forever. There's nothing wilder out there. This is not a fucking diet. I made a piece called, this is not a fucking diet. This is not a fucking diet. That word has no weight around here. This is a move. This is a mode, a method is, I was going to say there's a mood. This is a mood and the mood is intentionality. It's intentionality. Our forebears were not the buffet. They were eating the crops they grew. They were foraging for fruit and they were hunting game, typically small game. That's all this is. It's a way of eating normally, eating a normal amount of food that people in parts of the world that the U.S. does not have good relations with would kill to eat. And that's, that's the food waste coaching program. Much appreciated. I seem to be having some technical difficulties here at the end. Not sure what's going on. So before we waste too much time with uh, or lose any information, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. Um, I appreciate I, it, I guys. do have audio background recording, so it's not bad. I have, uh, we record um, a separate track as well outside of Riverside. In fact, I don't even really use their tracks except for your audio. Um, other than your that. face is frozen. Yeah, but can, you can hear me though, correct? Coming in beautiful. Yeah, that's all that matters. We can all hear each other. You're doing yeah, this a really, really like, cool smug look on your face. It's just like frozen. Yeah, I look stern. You look like you're <laughs> selling something. And Gary looks like he's going to punch somebody. <laughs> what, are you, what are you saying about Jewish people? This is kind of a fucked up no time. <laughs> oh, you're, you're Jewish? I think no. so. <laughs> I, think, I think I might be. <laughs> Guys, I might this be. This has been awesome. You guys rock. I'm very, very pleased. You know, I've done a lot of these in 
I've always enjoyed them. And this is one of the more professionally done on the slick audio and video and whatnot. So it's clear you two are on point and it's very, very awesome to connect with you two in this space. I appreciate it. Appreciate that. We care about what we're doing. I'm very passionate about giving back and allowing people to heal together. So, and it, it starts with people like yourself. We're just giving you a platform to put out what it is that uh, everybody needs to hear. But thank you very much. I genuinely appreciate that. And likewise. Right on. Well, much love from New York City. Right on, brother. We'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Hope so. All right. I love New York. I want to go back. That was a TV show. Hit oh, me yeah. up. My, my, door is always, my door is always open. We'll crank some burpees in the park, get some good, you know, positive energy, check out some museums, make something happen. I, uh, Cat's Delicatessen, I ate there last time I was in New York. We stayed in the Lower East Side, and I'm like, you probably don't have any use for that place now. Oh, man, Except, how do you pass Ferraras in Little Italy? It's mindset training, baby. All of this is mindset training. I live in the greatest food city, arguably the greatest food city in the world. It's all it's all mindset training. So, I mean, I'll keep, I can have dessert every once in a while, but no, I don't eat oh, a cat. Yeah, spice. <laughs> That's where I go back. every time I get to. Every time I hit New York, I'm right there. Friars is great. Yeah, there's tons of good food. Yeah. Guys, hit me up. I'd love to do this we'll again, go. or if you two are ever in New York, we'll, I'll be around. Absolutely. Appreciate sure. you. 